This week on the Recruitment Flex, we're joined by LinkedIn influencer, Kim Wilkinson, and we cover, you better not retract that offer because there is consequences. Are you regretting quitting your job during the great resignation? You're not the only one. Alternative credentials instead of a degree, how important is it? And fixing your recruitment process won't fix your hiring managers. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And I'll tell you, I am the luckiest guy in the world Mm -hmm. because I'm always surrounded by brilliant, smart women. And the podcast is a perfect example. I always have Shelly, but I also have Kim Wilkinson. So first of all, Shelly, Yes. Good to see you again. Always a pleasure. You know, I love doing this with you. Thank you for acknowledging my presence. Yes. But now I have to acknowledge Kim because we have a star, like a star in the making. Yes. Joining our podcast. It's official. It's official. Hollywood called. So Kim. You guys are wearing your sunglasses because I'm shining so bright. (laughs) So good to have you on again, especially after an event that I watched last week live and directly with LinkedIn. You got to tell us a story of how you got connected to LinkedIn, how they got you to host an event that I think had 6,000 people registered. Tell me the story. I want to know. Yeah. I literally just got an in mail in my inbox from someone at LinkedIn saying, we've come across your content. Would you be interested? And the first thing I think is, is this a scam? <laughs> Are you going to ask me for a deposit, cash a check for your family member? Obviously, Use this Bitcoin address. <laughs> so I did some cross-referencing and it turned out to be legit. And yeah, their career talk series, they I'd come across some of my content because at the end of each of these, they asked people, is there anyone you'd like to hear from? And I guess my name had been brought up a few times, which is super flattering. And yeah, asked me if I'd like to speak on an event with them. And so we started that journey, which was crazy and just uh, happened last week. Well, tell me how long from them reaching out to you to organizing it, what happens in the background? Yeah. So it's about a month now. Originally, I think we were talking that it was going to happen in June because they're lining up events. And then I'm not sure what happened on their end, but they're like, is there any way you could make end of April happen? And I said, you know what? I am going to be just sweating about this. So I might as well sweat for just the month versus sweating right through to June. So I said, let's rip the bandaid off. Let's do it. And we get started. It's super professional, way more elaborate than anything else I've spoken on. I mean, unfortunately, it's a topic I've spoken on a lot. So I didn't have to really rethink that, which was sort of my saving grace. But you have to have meetings with sound and lighting people. You have other production folks who work with you on content and visuals and all of that. And then I have a pre-meeting with the editor gentleman who was like my co-person. He's fabulous just to create some, you know, familiarity between the two of us. It was super profesh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He was so good too. Like, yeah, you can tell this is so great. Like Kim, honestly, did they send hair and makeup? No, 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 no. I just did a, a morning shampoo for once. The difference. <laughs> <I make. laughs> 
You really looked good and sounded great. I was following the comments. I'm sure there's no way you could have kept up because they were coming like a machine gun. Yeah. And hopefully you got some analytics at the end that showed what got the most attention. One of them was you made the statement of when responding to a conversation that's going on, be constructive, not combative. Yeah. And it went whoop, right up the side of the, the chat. When I saw it last, there was like 16 people immediately liked it. That really resonated with people because we're not looking for a fight. <laughs> Totally. Like, like when you post content, nobody's yeah. looking for a fight. I mean, totally. Was- I actually didn't have access to any of the comments, which it would have been very distracting along sure. the side. And I was just trying to keep looking like a cool individual who wasn't sweating. <laughs> so my observation, you know how we were talking a couple episodes ago when you joined us about how somebody, when they see that your post is getting like a million views, they'll try and hijack the conversation. Some guy did that. He was like, my mother has COVID. Please send help. And he kept posting about, please help my mother. My mother has COVID. And then he posted again. And he's pleading for help from the audience. It was really bizarre. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't see that. That would have been distracting. Would have been like, everyone stops. This person's mother has COVID. (laughs) Crazy. Like, was somebody call a doctor? Well, no. Okay. There's just a lot of really weird people and there's always going to be people that are going to hijack postings or just talk about nonsense. There are online trolls that will just try to find a way to pick a fight. And I think the best advice is you ignore it. Yeah. So in reality, they just boost your algorithm. Thank you for that. And on you go. (laughs) So now you have another gig, very similar talking about personal branding as a recruiter, but also as a job seeker. It's the end of this month with our friend Will and the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group. So look at you, you're all over the place. I am. People are going to be like, is this chick again? But this one will be focused really on recruitment because I honestly think if you are in recruitment and you are not working on this, you are not doing yourself a service in terms of access to candidates and even just your own job security, right? I mean, it's pivotal. Huge. It's important. That is a really good point, Kim. And that's why you're on fire with this topic. Because as recruiters, we talked about you can hang out your own shingle. But the fact is, this is your brand. This is a relationship that you build with a network of people, whether it's today or three years from today, when they're ready to make a job change, they'll think of you. Totally. That's, That's what it's all about. They trust you. And if recruiters aren't doing this and they're wondering why I'm still barely able to survive on my billings, you're riding on the coattails of your employer's brand yeah, rather than your own brand. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So when you leave that company, that stays with them because you are not their brand. I was actually reading an article focused on sales and talking about the new wave of sales is, is not the cold calling. It's that brand and being the rep of the companies instead of promoting and doing social media posts about their own company or coming from the company account, the stats are proven that it doesn't work. Most company posts that you see right now are getting one or two likes. But then if you look at individuals within the company, and if they're talking about something that's interesting, they're getting way more distribution. They're getting more likes. They're getting more people actually commenting on it. So leverage the people internally to help build your brand. It's actually going to help you a lot on the sales sites 
But a lot of companies are very hesitant to do that because they think, well, what happens if that person leaves? Well, it's like anything else. You rebuild it, right? You build what are you doing to retain people. them? Exactly. That too, right? So, we're at the age of the influencer. Yeah, and you look at how companies are choosing to spend their advertising dollars. It's not in those traditional media outlets that we've seen in the past. They're paying these people who have told the story. And I'm not going to lie. I love the Kardashians, but they're a perfect example of that, of people who have built this empire of sales through making you think that they're your friend. And then, oh, look, I'm also doing this. People eat it up. Yeah. Well, if we think that Kardashians are relatable, we're in trouble, but. uh... (laughs) (laughs) You mean you're you're not going on paid for vacations and being filmed? No, I I would. If you want to pay for my vacation, I'll get filmed the whole time. Nothing exciting will happen. How about we jump into our recruitment insights of the week? And this is a brand new one that we just kind of put on the docket at the last minute because someone that I know, they got a job offer. Mm -hmm. So they got a job offer. They resigned their job and the offer was retracted. And in Canada, there's different laws. But the minute that an employment letter is signed, it's a binding contract. I'd love to get your impression, Shelly, on something like this happening because it does happen. It's not very common. So what's your take? It is. I can't imagine what that person must be feeling. I just resigned. I trusted you. And now you've broken the contract with me. Yes, it's a legal binding contract between you and the employer. But what's your recourse? Seriously, could you hire an employment lawyer? Yes, you could. In the meantime, you're going to have to either go back to your employer or find another job, right? The recourse would be to hire a lawyer and claim damages for a broken contract. So two years later, they give you 50 bucks. Is it worth it? No. However, based on what we were just talking about, if you've got a strong personal brand, and you share this authentic story out on LinkedIn and say, has this ever happened to you? Imagine the power of your personal brand. Like Kim really set the table here for how to do this and be constructive. How do you start that conversation on social media platforms? If I were in this person's shoes, the recourse, is it worth the the work? Depends. If it was an executive position, they should be held to account because you can't exactly go back. But more importantly, to share this story on social media, I think it would go viral. A lot of people this has happened to, they didn't know what to do. What's my recourse? I am now in no man's land. Yeah, it's a very unique. And just to give you a little bit more context, all conditions have been met. So a lot of employment letters are based on meeting requirements and, and they were all done. And this was done over email. Kim, what's your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. And now it didn't happen through a client that I was working for, but I I did have a candidate that I was working with that had happened on an opportunity they were working on. And the organization offered a sizable um, amount of money as compensation for it, which I did think was commendable. It's important for candidates to know their rights in that situation. I know depending on how they were recruited to that position, they do hold some rights to go for severance that is in line with the tenure of their last position, depending on how long you were at your last job, it could be worth your while to see a lawyer. Certainly I'm not a legal professional disclaimer. Do not take my advice as being so, but I am aware that exists and over email. Gosh, that's like worse than being broken up with over text. I know professional. That's brutal. Hey, 
Yeah. And the laws are different in Canada than they are in the US. US, there's less recourse because every employment is at will, which still blows my mind. As in Canada, it is a legally binding contract. But to your point, Shelley, it's such a long process that are you going to do that? The advice that I gave is exactly to your point, it's going to be a long process, but just get a lawyer involved and let them know that you have a lawyer involved and see if it can at least trigger some type of severance or some type of compensation. For them, they probably don't want this to go public in any way, or or maybe they do, maybe they don't care, maybe they don't understand the possible recourse to their employment brand. Talking about recruiters and dealing with candidates, Kim, one of the things that we talk a lot about is what is agency recruiters responsible when it comes to providing information to candidates? How should agency recruiters deal with candidates? What type of information should they provide? Yeah, there is such an opportunity for agency recruiters to level up their game. I'm sure you can scroll through LinkedIn and not have to travel far to find a story of an awful experience with a recruiter. And it hurts everybody. And I think agency recruiters, even more so than corporate recruiters, get that rap. And it's because of the way that the business is structured and where the money comes from. It's very much doing what's best for my client where, I mean, I really think if you want to level yourself up as an agency recruiter, you need to turn your focus onto the candidate and the candidate's experience. And so I have a few things that for me are non-negotiable in my candidate interactions. And if you're not doing these things with your candidates, I think that you are not being the best recruiter that you can be. We'd love to chat about these and see if you guys think that these are me wasting my time or if they're good things I'm doing. (laughs) First thing is the initial intake. I, I feel like we make candidates go through this big formal interview when we don't necessarily have a job for them. When in my opinion, your initial interaction with a candidate should be learning about what they are looking for and the parameters of their search versus, you know, walk me through each detail. Because the reality is I'm a human being and I'm not going to remember that. If I have a job for you in two months, I'm going to make you repeat that. And so I don't think I'm doing good service by the candidate in doing it that way. And in that conversation, providing and offering resume feedback and interview feedback, if there was something you noticed about the way that they communicated that can help them in their job search. Is that something that you guys are seeing, you know, (laughs) recruiters doing, or do you do that? (laughs) Well, there's one that I find very difficult and candidates are asking a lot for it is feedback from the interview. And as a corporate recruiter, it's really hard because first of all, it's tough for me to get the feedback from the hire manager. Plus, in my experience, candidates don't really want the feedback. I've given straightforward feedback, not holding anything back, maybe massaging it a little bit. Both of you have a lot more experience when it comes to agency recruitment than I do of giving feedback as a third party. Like Shelly, what's your take there? I agree. Candidates, what they really want to know is yes or no, and let me move on. Kim, let me just back up. I absolutely agree because you understand that 50% of your ability to bill is based on candidates, right? They're 50% of the equation. So if you only focus on client and not the applicant relationship, you will fail. You absolutely will. The other thing that I wanted to say, part of my success as an agency recruiter was doing exactly what you just said, Kim. And that is, there's no way I am going to remember everything about your resume. And so when I met someone, I would always say, what are the three things about another opportunity that you'd need to hear 
that you would say, yes, I will take time out of my day to go and interview for that. And that's all I tracked. So I would have basic CRM really that I would then track by job family, who I'd spoken to, the three things they needed to hear. And I could go back and look up people that I talked to two years ago that said, okay, you know what? I would even move across Canada for this job. When I called them and said, listen, you and I spoke in 2007 (laughs) and you told me that you would move across Canada if I could bring you an opportunity that had these three things. Well, guess what? And guess who got the job now? So do I believe that you need to focus on the the candidate? You absolutely do. And if you don't get out of the game, right? You're a salesperson. And that's why most agencies hire a lot of salespeople, but on the recruiter side, it is that ability to really listen and look for something unique that will tweak your memory when you're doing an intake with a client and they say, here's the things that we offer and here's what I need. And you're like, oh my God, I remember someone that I talked to that said, this is what they were looking for. And that's the magic, right? Yeah. It switches the conversation from here's what the company needs to here's what the candidate wants. And I think when you have a candidate engaged on something they want versus trying to fit into a mold, that whole process transforms and is just so much better for everybody. Absolutely. Shelly, you completely ignored my question. I'm glad I got your perspective on the rest. So thank you. Well, let's go back to the candidate feedback. I did answer your question. They don't really want feedback. Listen, in part of your prep for sending them out to meet with the client, you would be debriefing them. You would say, yeah. listen, this client typically just gives me a yes or no, but here's some things that you can really make sure you drive home. So if you've prepped them properly, then there's not this hunger or thirst for what was the interview feedback. They want to know if it was a yes or no. If it was a yes, great. And if it's a yes, then usually you have enough information to say, here's the things that really hit home to the people that we're interviewing you. So let's expand on why this is important, why your experience doing this particular thing hit home with them. That to me is a true relationship with your candidate versus, yeah, you showed up, your hair was greasy and you smelled like um, you hadn't had a shower. Like nobody needs to hear that. That's interview prep, which I do. And I do think it's it's on my list as well that we need to do. But when I talk about feedback, that's my initial interaction with my candidates, because my thing is that I cannot get everyone a job, but I want you to feel like there was value in speaking Mm. with me today. And so I always ask if people are looking for feedback, because I agree, not everyone is ready. So I say, would you like some resume feedback? Would you like some interview feedback? If I have any, given our interactions to prepare them for their job search in general. I think there's this sense of ownership on agency for candidates that I'm only going to prepare you when it suits me. If we look at taking care of our candidates, me going, I know you're in your job search. I maybe can't get you a job, but here's some things on your resumes that I think could be an obstacle for you to go out even on your own. And then to what you're saying, Shelly, absolutely prepping your candidates before an interview. If you are not doing that as an agency candidate, I mean, you're failing yourself, you're failing your candidate, you're failing the process. (laughs) One of the things, Kim, that you talked about during the LinkedIn event that I shudder at because I've been most of my time in corporate recruitment and you encourage heavily for people to reach out to people within the organization, especially hiring managers And as a corporate recruiter, 
I hate it. I really hate it. <laughs> I'll tell you what happens. I've seen this candidate. They're not qualified or whatever the case is. Suddenly I have the hiring manager reaching out to me. Hey, this person reached out to me. You should talk to them. And they don't even look at their profiles. Now I'm in a position that I have to have an interview or pre-screen with a candidate that would just not fit the mix at all, knowing what I'm looking for in recruitment. Hiring managers usually don't care. You'll have an intake meeting with them and they'll tell you exactly what they want, but this candidate has nothing that they want. Am I wrong? Am I being an ass? No, but I did, I did put a caveat in there. Like if you know that you're a sure banger for this role. And so I think that too, there's some ownership on the candidate of knowing your own skill set and in your position, pushing back on your hiring manager going, I'm familiar with this candidate, you know, culturally, I don't think they're aligned. If you'd like to meet them, I'm prepared to set you guys up with an interview, but I know enough on my end that that's my stance and kind of leave it at that. But that's again, and we talked about this in another episode of being a recruiter that owns your process and the guidance that you're giving to hiring managers, but empowering candidates to advocate for themselves in a world of ATSs and all the other cloudiness that goes with applying for a job is what is right for the candidate. That's my take. I think Serge just got red. (laughs) (laughs) Kim, that is the best response ever. If we are... (laughs) We're drinking our own Kool-Aid. We already knew the answer. So that was a very good read. You're not wrong, but you're still the wrong. The library's closed. No, yeah. there's search. a lot of incoming yeah. messages and I get it. Trust me. I just got a notice from LinkedIn that I have capped out on connections and can no longer send or receive connection requests. There's a huge volume I get in, but I believe that overall, the time it takes me to respond to those in a courteous way versus the empowerment it gives me in my position to help others definitely makes sense in a weighted scale. Yeah, I get it. And I'm glad I'm not in corporate recruitment right now because I'm a hiring manager as per se. So I would get those type of requests and I'll look at their background and usually I'll respond and I'm pretty succinct in saying, I don't think you're qualified for this, but good luck. That might be harsh, but no one wants to be wasting their time. I, I do want to switch to... Uh, a recruitment insight that we've talked about before, but really not in depth. During the great resignation and during the pandemic, a lot of people quit their job. And as we know, like we've called it the great resignation. What's happening now is a lot of people have regrets. They have remorse. Part of it is recruiters and companies have been focused on creating a really unique employment brand and have maybe over-exaggerated. So when people are coming in, it's not exactly what they were promised by the recruiter or what's out there in the market. The other factor is when you are wanted in the market, it makes you explore. It's kind of like dating, right? When you're starting to date someone and you've been dry for like three years, like no one wants to date you. Suddenly, you, you get Just a girlfriend experience search is this there yeah, no that's never happened call. to me but let's let's <laughs> let, let, let me roll with this so you, you finally find a girlfriend and now suddenly girls that would never ever look at you are really attracted to you so now you have multiple options and you become an ass with it and you go look and explore your options even though that first girl that took a chance on you is probably the best bet And sometimes you left that girl for another girl or boy or whatever the case is. And you're like, oh, it was really good with, I'm going to say a name. Girl number one. Girl number one. And now I have regrets. And I think that's happening with 
a lot of people suddenly they see there's a lot more options. They're hot on the market. A lot of people want to hire them. It's like, yeah, let's see what these options are. I, apart from my horrible uh, energy here, do you guys feel the same? What's your overall thoughts about people having regrets about leaving a job, then coming back to it. Shelly, I'll start with you. Okay, so <laughs> this is hard to follow. Do you know, it's really not a bad analogy because it, it really is opening your eyes. And so part of this is why did you make the mistake of suddenly thinking you have all these options? Well, there are more options out there, yeah. right? Looking around, thinking what was important to me. Of course, we all want more money, but more importantly, here's where I think recruiters can own a little bit of this. I will say we have been telling recruiters that speed is the new currency. So get them to make a decision, get them to make a decision quickly. We respond to them quickly. We get them interviewed quickly and we've got an offer in front of them in five days. And they're like, okay, it's more money. It is more flexible. But because they made a decision in five days, because as recruiters, we need to move quickly if we're going to win, the regrets happen because they really didn't have time to digest what it was they were deciding on, right? We met all the things that they said they wanted, but now they're going like, well, I didn't really think about the fact that joining a company of 10,000 people makes me a nobody. Yeah. Versus joining a small company of 60 people where everything I do matters. It never even occurred to me. Mm -hmm. You gave me everything I asked for. Yeah. What's your take, Kim? Yeah, there's some ownership on both sides. A candidate really needs to understand and not get caught up in the hysteria because you're right. I just said this to a candidate, actually. The only thing you need to do to get a job is get another job. And all of a sudden, there's that stress of multiple interviews, and that can feel very overwhelming for candidates. But also on the flip side, you're right, the company overselling or pushing things too fast. Speed to market is critical, but not to the point of negligence. And so making sure that you're giving candidates that time, asking if they need anything more to feel comfortable in their decision and accommodating those things. You see a lot of people going back, but a common thing I saw was that people were going back to a new built out role, bigger responsibilities. And so is it really role regret versus the delayed counter offer? Is that maybe yeah. more what we're seeing versus, oh, my company's actually pulling their socks up here and they're getting sucked back in that way. It would be interesting to watch this trend and a year later, see how many people are still at that original company that they went back to. I'm going to go back to dating here because it's kind of like, <laughs> oh God. <when> you, <laughs> when you break he, up. He would be looking at for your Tinder profile. We're <laughs> talking a lot about dating today. Kim, Kim, I'm happily married. And I know I that. And he'll I, never do any better. <laughs> I will never do any better. <laughs> so know. I'm well aware of that. So, but, but I will go back to dating, right? So you break up with a girl or a boy and suddenly like a year after you've tried dating other people and it's just like yeah oh, it just wasn't as good as surge so now you now have a said nobody ever <laughs> so now you have an appreciation for that person that left and be like you know we were very hesitant of putting surge as the manager of this because we didn't think he was ready but he was ready let's bring him back and put him in the right role i think That happens a lot to your point, Kim. Yes. And also a lesson learned. Women are pining for surge all over the world today. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's an issue. It's an issue. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's jump into the next recruitment insight, which is one that I'm quite passionate about. I've been talking since the first day of the podcast that education, the whole industry needs to be disrupted. And the pandemic has really shifted, especially the supply and demand challenges. People are not looking at university degrees the same as they did before. And in this current economy, the skills change every year and a half. A lot of companies are looking less at university degrees and looking more at what they call alternative credentials. There's multiples of different things that you can do online. If you do all the LinkedIn courses on a particular subject, are those types of skills more important than university? I'll give you one last example. If you are a digital marketer, is it more important that you're certified through like Facebook Blueprint, Google AdWords, than a university degree that you got 10 years ago? Do you think digital credentials or alternative credentials are going to have a bigger impact moving forward? Kim, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I'm not education's biggest fan. I myself don't have post-secondary education and- You're doing okay, right? I did okay, right? So, and I mean, not to discourage anyone from it, but I'm much more a fan of functional learning. And that can, you know, typically be maybe in a college setting or in some of these other certificate programs that have come up. My mom used to say something to me that university can give you an education, but it cannot teach you common sense. And the amount of just common interaction sense that people lack is such a critical thing in in the job world. You know, knowing what you want to do. I mean, you want to be a doctor, you have to go to university to do that and going through those steps. And maybe it's just me and I'm going to sound a little stupid here, but I don't know what like a degree or a bachelor in philosophy, what kind of jobs you get with that. I don't understand. It sounds like four years of learning that equals nothing to me. And I'm going to get a lot of hate from people with a bachelor in philosophy now, but going and taking something specific to what you want to do, that's going to teach you concrete skills. I think, yeah, that should be weighted a lot more heavily than it is currently. So miss, my children must go to university no matter what. What's your thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) That's directed at me, Kim. So there is an undeniable fact that there is a bias that exists presently. I think it's wishful thinking that it will go away, but there is a bias. There is clearly an advantage in early career hiring of somebody who has a degree, regardless of what it is, whether it's philosophy, anthropology, or you know, a Bachelor of Science, there is a bias in hiring. Because I'm in the business, I know it. Doesn't mean I agree, disagree. I know it's a fact. I'm responding just as Shelly, mom of three kids who are all in university. That's my response because you cannot deny it. There is Can definitely you, I could, a I'm going to deny it because I would wager that a lot of those more functional learning programs often have a practicum built in, which has a huge success rate in employment, um, in my opinion. And in being someone who hires in junior level positions, I have never seen a university degree be the tipping scale for that candidate. I hear you. I would point to the internships and the learning experience. Absolutely. Because if you've got 10 early career candidates Five of them have university degrees and they worked co-op summer student programs. Who are you going to hire? Well, it's it's pretty obvious. 
right? The one who's got some experience. So I believe experience counts for sure. We have this whole pressure of you need to attend university just to attend university. And we end up with a bunch of people with philosophy degrees and have no direction or idea, and then have to supplement that with a more functional education to move into something that they like. Absolutely. And I've always said you go to university to get an education, not a job. So let me be clear. I want my kids to have an education because education is not something you can ever take away from people. If you want an advantage, give your kids an education, whether that education comes from micro learning or online learning, there is no doubt that education is valuable. So like Parker, he's getting a master of arts in American history at a German university. What the fuck are you going to do with that? He's not doing it to get a job. He's doing it because he absolutely is getting an education on what has shaped society. What will he do with it? He's a grown man. He's just going to have to decide how that's going to apply to a paying job, right? I've thrown a smoke bomb at you again here because this particular study from SHRM was HR people and not recruiters that are finally starting to acknowledge that perhaps your work history above your Bachelor of Arts in American History degree, (laughs) your work experience is is far more relevant to why I would hire you than any degree that you have. I think that was the whole point of the study. Yes, yes. I'll have the last word, please. No one's arguing education is important. We're all on the same page. Education can come in many different ways and there's advantage to all of them. And what companies are seeing right now is to your point, there was a lot of bias with people with university degrees in the past. I think that is going away because the talent pool is too small and we're coming into some really difficult time. And I don't think we all realize that there's just not enough people that went to trade schools. There's not enough people to do the jobs that we're going to need to get done. So the whole thinking of just university is flawed, but this is where it's great. A lot of people that went to university, you can shift careers really easily now or easier than you could in the past because there is such great learning online. And it's about time. I think universities are mafias. Like it's crazy. The average income has not gone up significantly, but the price of education has gone up 300% in 15 years. It's a scam. It needs to be disrupted. University in itself cannot be the same as it it is right now. 20 years from now, Shelly, I'll go to your old folks home and we'll see if I was right or not. All right. So I think I know you're right, Serge. I don't know if I'd use the word mafia, but I would say it has been since maybe 600 years of human society, an elitist way of thinking that if I have an education, I am better than you. Yes. And, and it is now saying to take four years out of your life, you do it because you can afford to do it. So it is an automatic bias. It is an automatic discrimination against people, which is unfounded. And that's the whole point of this, because all of us are testimony to the fact that what we learn in real life is far more valuable than a four years I would have spent getting a Bachelor of Arts degree. I agree. Let's jump into the next insight. Shelly, please introduce this one. 
Okay. I'm living this right now where clients are saying, what else you got? What else you got? We're recruiting methodology and the recruiting process. Do we need to change it? Do we need to fix it? I wanted us to talk about the three things that no matter how much you tweak your recruitment process, your recruitment methods, it's not going to fix anything. The first and foremost thing is new recruitment process will not fix the fact that you have a very competitive landscape in the labor market. There's nothing that you can change about what you do if there are more jobs and less job seekers. Oh my gosh, I love that you said that. I literally had a client say to me that they didn't buy in to the candidate scarcity argument. And I'm like, no one's arguing here. <laughs> yeah. These are facts, straight up facts I'm throwing your way. <laughs> they just don't believe it? Yeah, they just didn't want that to be part of their consideration in their hiring. And I was speechless for the first time in my life. (laughs) Well, like you can change your recruitment marketing, recruitment advertising, employer brand. But if you are still working in that old school recruiting mindset, that's not going to change no matter what you throw at your recruitment methodology. What I mean by that is... And again, this plays into a competitive candidate pool is, well, I just want to see four or five more comparison candidates. Yeah, fuck. Right? Do you not just want to throw yourself on the ground? Bad culture is the third one. Like old school recruiting mindset ties right into bad culture because a lot of these people, they create that. You should be so honored to work for me. Oh, you just nailed it, Serge. If somebody really wants to work for us, then they will dance like a monkey if I tell them to. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a client who have openly admitted, we know our recruitment process is ridiculously long, but we believe the right candidate will endure it. And I'm like, do you also go outside when there's a rainbow and drive to the find the pot of gold? Is that also part of your daily routine? Because it's crazy, right? Well, it's so when in fact, it's the absolute opposite. The right candidate would say, why would I endure this? Like, I have no self-respect. Yeah. Well, like, I'm desperate. scooped up by another employer. Well, like this that. is for common sense. You mentioned common sense at the start. Perfect example of common sense, because I'm not going to go tr- jump through these hoops, because if I'm a valued candidate and people are attracted to me, I'm going back in dating, I'm going to have plenty of suitors. So why would I go date the ugly girl? Right. Uh, so I am going He has a very nice personality, sir. Yes. Yes. But it's dating, right? Like the first thing you look at is, are you attracted to that person? It's going to uh, put out. <laughs> if I can be a fly on the wall in your DMs after this episode airs, if I, I know. send us a few snippets of the hate you're going to get rolling in on all of that. But I totally get it. And then you're rightish. That was a not nice way to describe that. <laughs> but yeah, you can't keep those mentalities and have that culture. And it doesn't matter what you think your methodology is, you will not be successful. Candidates rule the process and you need to get on board with that. Yeah, they rule it right now. And it's either we're on board or not. But it still doesn't mean that you shouldn't look at your recruitment process and adjust it and make it better. It's just not going to fix it all. I, I think that's the point, right, Shelley? Yes. It won't fix these three problems. Exactly. Yes. So, okay. Kim, you've okay. got the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group. What date is it? It is May 26. 20- 
6th is a Thursday. That's open to all recruitment professionals around Canada. Go register and I am going to change your life. Change your life. (laughs) And can people like your LinkedIn recording, because I thought it was extremely valuable and well-produced. Can you go back and listen to, is there a recording anywhere or how does that work? Yeah. I have the link to it on my profile. Um, If you look under my recent activity, it's under the LinkedIn networking group and they have all of their past recordings. There's some valuable content in there, including mine, but would be valuable for anyone to visit. Yes. And we'll put that in the show notes. We talked a couple of weeks ago, myself and Shelly, about being jealous of seeing Hung Lee and everyone in Australia touring the countries. We got to do that in Canada. We already have one of our influencers that will be joining us, which is Kim, but now we're going to gather more. We've gotten some feedback, not as much as I wanted. So please keep giving us this feedback. And if companies are interested in hosting this or sponsoring it or working with us, And my DMs are open. So slide (laughs) into those DMs. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. That is a very good reminder, Serge. I'm glad you left that as our closing remarks. So listen, everybody have a fantastic week and I can't wait to talk again. Bye guys. Thank you. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.